another. We'll be in Psalms chapter number 73. Psalms chapter 73. Brother Philip, this, this microphone is doing some strange things to me tonight, so we'll see what, uh, what happens. Um, it was on and it did not want to shut off, so when in doubt, you remove the batteries. So that's what I did. But I might now. We'll see what happens during the service. But it's been giving us some strange sounds the past few weeks. I blame it on Brother Josh last week. He broke it. So it was working fine until then. And uh, that was neat to have him in last week, wasn't it? And uh, I really enjoyed that. And um, I know I've had a few others that did. Even some that were watching online that don't even attend our church had said, hey, that was a neat guy that came in last time. So I wonder what they say about me when they, when they hear me speak. You never actually know. But um, we're in Psalm chapter 73. And uh, Psalm 73 is the beginning of uh, a section in the Psalms known as the Psalms of Asaph. And uh, the following psalms are not, uh, you know, there are some which we don't entirely know the writers of, and some would debate who is the writer of uh, Psalm 73 and the following 10 to 11 ver uh, chapters. But um, the, a lot of history and what we know and even what Scripture tells us is uh, that it was Asaph himself who wrote this. And Psalm 73, it, it would definitely seem to be um, uh, very clear to that matter. Uh, we know that of Asaph, he is the chief musician uh, within the, the temple, within the tabernacle. And uh, so we, there are other men that uh, some have called that worship team in their very essence. They were the men who held uh, that, that form of worship within the house of God. Uh, but Psalm 73 is, an, is a uh, powerful passage of scripture. We find um, Asaph bringing us uh, really through a a way of thinking that every believer at some point in their life uh, finds himself thinking uh, at more than one time within their life. And um, notice what the Word of God says in Psalm 73, verse 1. The Word of God says, Truly God is good. Uh, that's a good place to stop right there, amen? Isn't God good? And, uh, but uh, if only Asaph's original way of thinking was with that intent. It, notice as the verse continues, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. We read in, the book, in this chapter, and we'll look at these other verses here in just a moment, but just to kind of give you some context, he begins in verse 1 by saying, Truly, uh, we do serve a good God, and God is good to Israel, specifically. And he says, God has promised to Israel uh, that they will receive his blessing, providing that they have a clean heart, providing that they are living in obedience to him. He says, these are the things which I've taught. These are the things which I believed. This is what I've practiced in my belief, and I've held to this for, for nearly all of my life. But he says in verse 2, he says, but as for me, he says, here's what's going through my mind. My feet are almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's, he's beginning to think in an entirely different direction. An entirely different direction from that which is truth and from that which is biblical. And so he, he says in verse 3, I was envious at the foolish. I'm now, he's now looking at the world and looking at the, the, those of the world and who are the wicked, we could call them, uh, those who are living in sin and comparing them to the Christian life which he is living. Boy, that, that's so often the case for many believers today. And truthfully, in our sin nature, how hard, it, uh, how hard it is and how careful we have to be that we don't compare ourselves to other people. And most especially to the unbeliever. 
But this is what we find of Asaph. And notice how, as he continues in this train of thought, and uh, the Word of God tells us in uh, uh, verse number 13, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I want you to notice verse 17, which is really where we gain the, the, the key to the entirety of this text. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Notice the word of God says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. What is the sanctuary of God? Well, that is our place of worship. That is the place in which we go to worship God. In, in its very essence, what is uh, Asaph saying? Well, he says, I came to a place of worship, and it was then that I understood all the things that I in my mind was contemplating as, as, uh, as whether it was truth or not truth, or why is this happening, or why are these things taking place? Why is the enemy prospering? He says in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. Here's the general sense of, it, uh, of the context here. He says, why is it that the wicked, those who are not living for God, seem to be receiving even greater blessings than those who are living for God? He says, here I'm, I'm sacrificing, I'm cleansing my heart, I'm giving, I'm, I'm doing all that I can to glorify God through my life. And it seems like those who are living ungodly lives are receiving more blessings, are receiving uh, more benefits in their life, a more prosperous life than I am. You ever felt that way? And sometimes you look at the, 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 the life of the ungodly and you say, wow, they've really got it made for themselves. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, I'm never going to be as rich as they are. Or as a, as a believer, I'm never going to be able to do what they're doing. Or as a believer, I'm never going to be like they are. Uh, how easy it is to compare ourselves in such a way. This is exactly what's going through Asaph's mind. But he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I came to that proper form and that proper place of worship... Did I understand what God was doing? Did I come to a full understanding of what God was doing even in my life? You know, we think about that word worship. What, what does it mean to worship? In the Old and New Testament, the, the, the words were to predominantly used to define uh, one to prostrate oneself, uh, to reverence and to adore. That, that idea of prostrating, we're laying ourselves fully before the throne of grace. Fully before God. It's nothing of ourselves. We're not even so much in our body as supporting our own self. We're laying before God in complete adoration of who he is and trust of who he is and belief uh, that he can and is able to do what he believes is best. Boy, it, it, I would say uh, if that doesn't speak to you already, um, that we as God's people would find ourselves prostrate before the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, so so truthful it is that uh, we have a hard enough time bending one knee, let alone laying our face before God. The truth is we are not worthy. We are not worthy. God is worthy of our praise, but we're not worthy of the relationship which God has given to us. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight is that very idea, until I went to the sanctuary of God or until Asaph went to worship. What was it that took place? Well, he concludes in, in, in the psalm where he begins, Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. And he says, But as for me, so God is good, and he's promised that he's good, but 
For me, this is what I'm thinking. This is what's going through my mind. This is what I'm seeing that contradicts everything that I believed. But he concludes the psalm by saying in verse 28, notice, for it is good, there's that word again, but this time in reference to himself. It is good for me to notice the uh, scripturally given outline. He says, number one, to draw near to God. Number two, I have put my trust in the Lord God. And number three, that I may declare all the works of God. I want us to consider those three things tonight. The first is drawing near to God. That's that very essence of worship which we talked about. In John chapter 4, why don't you turn there with me? We find the woman at the well and uh, Jesus promising a, uh, a, uh, a well to her, a uh, water which was springing forth into everlasting life. And of course, the woman at the well did not fully understand that which Jesus was telling her and she was thinking of something entirely different. In the midst of this encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well, uh, Jesus says this in John 4, verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you haven't marked that in your Bible, I'd encourage you to mark it. Spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Can I say to you before we take attention, give attention to that spirit and truth, God seeks us to worship together with him. God seeks us to worship Him. The question is, do we sincerely desire to be a true worshiper of God? Sometimes there's a misconception that worship only happens in the house of God. I say to you, worship is a lifestyle. It should be the lifestyle of the believer. Amen? That we are continually worshiping God. And what Asaph is saying in, its very es in, in the essence of Scripture is that until I came to the place of worship and I began to worship God, then I understood the end of all that I was trying to process in my mind. When Jesus says of those true worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth, what is he talking about? We consider first worshiping in spirit. We understand that when God made us, he made us spirit, soul, and body. And so it's in our spirit that we have a conscience. And that it is through our spirit that we trust the Lord and he comes to live within us. And once the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, it is He who seeks to, uh, uh, to worship, to exalt, and to adore the Lord. In other words, that Spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit within us. That, uh, that desire that should be for the believer. That because I know Christ, because I have a relationship with God, now I desire to worship Him. Hey, there should, be, there should be something you're thinking about in your own life. If you have no desire to come in the presence of God and worship Him, you should be asking yourself, do you even know the Lord? Amen. Are you even a believer? Amen. Because Scripture tells us here that those who are true worshipers are those that desire to worship Him in spirit. The Holy Spirit it yearns, craves, desires to be together with God in the presence of God. Oh, that God's people would so yearn to be together with Him. The Bible tells us that we are to worship Him in truth. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Here we find uh, the eyes of those who are worshiping God in these end times as we read of in the book of Revelation uh, is one of worshiping in truth. You want to understand what the Word of God says concerning worshiping in truth? Read Revelation 5. Look at verse 9. The Word of God says, And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. 
For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and a thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, notice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty uh, elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You understand the eyes of the, these individuals were not on a band, they were not on a choir. And truthfully, they were not even on a preacher. They were on the Lamb. They were on God. Amen? And can I say to you, when we consider what it means to worship God in truth, it means our eyes are on God. And the one to whom we are worshiping is God and God alone. Unfortunately, you come to some churches today, and it would seem to be that the worship is more upon that of in praise is that upon the man more than it is the maker, more than it is of God himself. It, the Bible tells us that worshiping in truth is where our eyes are in our praise and our worship, our song, and everything of, of who we are is that complete direction to God. Uh, this is uh, why I, I have heard it said, and I've made the statement myself, that the song service in the house of God is just as important as the preaching service. Because our praise and our worship to God and our adoration towards Him uh, should is, is because with a mind that should be saying, God, you are worthy of it. You deserve the praise. It has nothing to do anything more than that, than that you deserve praise. Amen? Doesn't God deserve it? And, oh, that we would keep such a spirit, not just in the house of God, but even within our daily life, God is worthy of praise. I don't know about you, but I don't thank God enough. I don't praise God enough. I don't dwell upon all that he's done for me enough as I should. And, and uh, as a result uh, of that, do I keep my eyes upon the Lord as I should? It, 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 when, I don't, when, I, when I fail to praise him, I fail to keep my eyes on him. And so I say to you, believer, in our sin nature, uh, we, uh, we cannot expect our hearts and our lives to be in a proper relationship uh, with God if our eyes are not upon Him. The Bible tells us, uh, as the Word of God continues in the book of Psalms, turn to Psalm 73 yet again, and uh, let's look together at uh, this, this second of um, the, the conclusion which Asaph gives. He says, draw near to God. So we understand that worship. Until I came to worship, did I obtain an understanding of what the end was, of what God intended. And he says, I have put my trust in the Lord God. Now he's trusting the Lord. Because what did he fail to do? Well, that's what verse 3 tells us. He says, really verse 2 also, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's making reference to the foundation that every believer is to have in their Christian life. He says, I'm losing, I'm losing trust in God. I'm starting to lose my faith in believing that God is actually going to allow the faithful to prosper. Because he says, when I look at the world, when I look at society, it seems like the wicked are prospering greater 
than the Christian. This is the debate which he's having. And so we understand uh, that the depending upon God's word is keeping yourself from temptation. And I say to you first, the temptation to doubt. The temptation to doubt. That, that, that temptation to, that we would give into, because the temptation is not the sin. It's the giving into the temptation that is. And the giving into the temptation of saying, oh, is God even here? Is God even in this? Is God even going to bring his blessing? He says, I'm losing ground. I'm losing stability. I hardly feel like I can stand up for God because I don't even feel like I see him. And now he says in verse 3, for I was envious. I say to you, secondly, when we talk about uh, the, 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 a dependence that we see, first of all, a drawing near to God. But secondly, there's a dependence on the words of God. We're keeping ourselves from temptation, temptation to doubt. But secondly, temptation to covet. I'm envious. I desire to have what they have for my life. Notice how he continues. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Verse 7. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than a heart than the heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. He says, does God not see the wicked? <laughs> does he not see the reason, the, what, what, what these people, the sinful lives these people are living? And yet they have everything their heart could desire. Verse 9. They set their mouth against the heavens and the tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? He says, they don't even have any, give any attention to God. And yet they're receiving the blessing? He says, truthfully, I'm desiring what they have. Because I say to you, the opposite should be for the believer. That the unbeliever would see the life of the believer and say, I desire what they have in their relationship with God. Amen? And can I say to you, when you have a proper form of worship in your relationship with God, uh, you, you will not desire what the wicked has. Amen? You'll want nothing to do with it. Because all you'll find is a God who is worthy of all praise and that we can trust in, that we don't have to doubt in, and that we don't have to desire anything more than God himself. It was, as we looked at this morning, Peter who said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. This is all that I have. I'm giving you Jesus Christ. And Christian, that's all that we need. Amen. Amen? We don't need anything more. May we not covet anything more. But could I say to you, that is the temptation. The world has, uh, the society, commercials <laughs> have a way of, of dangling things right in your face. Wow, I need that. Why can't I have that? <laughs> the, 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 the people that maybe were our friends before we became believers, they're living such a life and uh, they're posting all their their. their their fun and all their exciting things on social media. And, say, and, and there's a thought that crosses our mind and says, man, they're having a good time. Boy, could we take this on the flip side? What happens to God's people so praising God in such the same way? Amen? Yes. Well, we complain about all the stuff that's on social media and all the stuff that's online and all the garbage that's out there. And we know that it is. But what are the Christians that are posting and praising all the good that God is doing? Amen? May we dwell upon the good things because God is good. Amen? And God will bless those that choose to obey Him. Yeah. And He is worthy of the praise and worthy of glorifying about. Yeah. 
And this is exactly what Scripture is telling us here. The debate that he's having, he says, I'm tempted to doubt. I've fallen into the temptation of covetousness. And in verse 13 through 16, notice he says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. He says, why have I even kept my heart clean? Why has my heart even been tried to keep right with God? What's the point in it? Is there any purpose to it? Because where's the blessing? You know what happened is Asaph's now developed a wrong thinking for worshiping God. He's worshiping God for something in return. It has not to do with what can I get from God. It has to do with God is worthy of my praise. God is worthy of all that I can give to him. Could I say to you, many Christians live such a life. They live the Christian life only with something to gain. What can God give to me? What can God's people give to me? What can the church give to me? What benefit does it have for me? What do I get in return? Are there not rewards in heaven for this? We look at it. We look at all the things of what I can get as a result. But Christian, if you are looking at what you can get out of the Christian life, you have a whole wrong philosophy of worship. Society in the world says, yes, get, get, get. Covet, covet, covet. Get all you can get. Make the greatest name for yourself. Live life to its fullest. Enjoy life. Spend a little bit more money. Drink a little bit of alcohol. Let your mind wander off. Let yourself dwell on all the things of this world and the pleasures that the world has to offer. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. There's no reason to deny the fact that there is pleasure in sin. But God promises this. That it's for a season. And be sure your sin will find you out. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. And its end will only be destruction. Here's Asaph. He says, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. He said, continues, verse 13, And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Every day I'm, I'm wrestling and arguing with myself. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I even living for God? What's the purpose of what I'm doing? Why am I leading the music ministry within the house of God? This is what he's talking about. He's the musician, the chief musician, okay? He says, why am I even doing this? Have I done it all in vain? I'm plagued with it. I'm chastened by it. It's driving me nuts. He says in verse 15, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He's contemplating going public with it. I'm about ready, Asaph says, to come out in front of the entire congregation and say, you know what? I, I've stopped believing in God. There, the world has more to offer me than what God has to give to me. I find more pleasure in what the world has to offer than anything I'm getting from God. But he argues with himself. Here's the wrestle. Here's what's going on in his mind. He says... Verse 15, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He says, what's working within my own conscience, that being the Holy Spirit, is, is telling me, hey, if you turn away from everything that I have done in your life and am currently doing and desire to do for you, think of all the people that you have led in worship, let alone led to Christ and pointed to Christ. And they're going to look at your life and they're going to go the same direction you're going. They're going to say, what's the point in living for God? If Asaph can turn from God, why can't I? If Asaph can do these things, why can't I? Christian, consider the, consider the testimony that you have of God. When you choose a life that is a different direction than God, you choose to be unfaithful to the house of God, you choose to be unfaithful to the word of God, 
you choose to be unfaithful to the, uh, the obedience of God's word, and all those things become secondary, your family, your friends, the people that admire you and respect you, the people that follow you that, don't, that you don't even realize they're following you, they will look at you and say, wow, what kind of Christian are they? Christian, consider the power of your testimony. What you choose to do right now in your life, your children will see, your friends will see, your church family will see. Think of the effect that it has. Too many two-faced Christians. Boy, Jesus so boldly stood, even in the temple, amongst all the believers, and said, you bunch of hypocrites. You're living two different kinds of lives. You expect God's blessing and for God to work in your life, and, and here you're living to please two different types of people. You're living like the world on one end, you're living for God on the other end. It's Moses who said, who is on the Lord's side? Choose your side. You can't be on one side or the other. You can't straddle the line, is what I'm saying. You've got to choose. Either you're with God or you're not. So the Bible tells us there is a temptation to quit. Because this is what was going through Asaph's mind. I'm doubting. I'm coveting. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm frustrated with the very work of God, and I'm just ready to throw it away. But there's another part of me that says, if I do, what about all those that are following me? So, the conclusion we say, we have found yet again, he says, draw near to God. Let there be a proper form of worship. Depend on his word. Keep yourself from temptation. But secondly, he says, declare his works. Declare his works. Notice, Verse 17 yet again. And let your eyes fall on that verse. The Bible says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I obtained a proper form of worship, then understood I their end. Then I understood what God was doing. Verse 18, Surely thou didst set them in the slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought up into desolation? As in a moment... They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. In other words, he's concluding now in verse 20. In time, God will judge the wicked. I don't know when. I can't see it in front of my eyes, but it's not for me to point the finger and say, God, will you bring justice to them? Do you not see the sin which they're living in? This proper form of worship is changing his way of thinking. And by the way, hopefully the, the house of God, the place of worship does that for you. You ever come into the house of God, you're discouraged of something you're going through, and you leave the house of God after worshiping the Lord, and now you have a whole different thinking. Amen? You ever been there? I've been there, okay? That, that's that's a, the true worshipers, which we're talking about here. You've let God speak to your heart. You've let God work in your heart. And now your worship to God is changing your life. It's keeping you in the proper direction. And he goes from saying, hey, all the wicked are prospering, verse 12, to saying, hey, the wicked will be judged in God's time, verse 20. Verse 21, thus my heart is grieved. And I was pricked in my reins. I'm humbled. I'm brought to the end of myself. God has knocked the crutches out from under me. I've fallen flat on my face. There's nothing I can do in my own. And I've realized that I ha have had a wrong attitude in all this. I've not been looking at God the proper way as I should be. He says, verse 22, so foolish was I. In other words, I was just stupid for thinking that. 
and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. I was like an animal. I wasn't even thinking with my conscience. I wasn't thinking properly. And Christian, when an individual lets themselves dwell upon sin, live in sin, think on sin, you will not even think right. You ever see somebody who gets away from God, they get away from the Lord, and you say, how in the world did they get so far from God? You ever, you ever know somebody that way? This is exactly what Asaph is saying. How did, I was like, I was not even thinking. I was thinking like an animal was. I'm not even thinking, processing right and wrong. I'm just doing whatever comes to my mind. He says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I love that word because now here where we find at the beginning of the, uh, of the chapter uh, the, the wicked and the life of the wicked, yet in the remainder of the chapter we find the life of the righteous. In verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. He's talking to the Lord. God, you're with me. I'm holding your hand. You know, um, society has, has an, uh, an emphasis to hold and grab hold of and take hold of everything else with our hands. <laughs> I think I've shared this illustration before, but it's, it's like that boy on Easter, on Easter Day when given the option to choose of any piece of chocolate out of a basket, and he chooses the largest piece within it, only to find after opening it up and taking a bite in it that it's hollow, that it's empty. Reaching for all the gain. Uh, you know, you've heard of how they, they, people in some countries will catch a monkey and you put, some, uh, you put food within a jar, one which the, the monkeys will put their hands inside of that jar and when they grab with their fist and try to pull their hand out, they can't get their hand out of the jar. And they don't think enough to let go to pull their hand out. They just hold on to it. And as a result, they get captured. And can I say, Christians, we, we can do the very same thing. We hold on to everything other than the very hands of God. The Christian life is, is hand in hand with God all the way. By the way, the marriage life is hand with our wife, hand in hand with God. God's, God's in our life just the same. Amen? Keep God in your life. So the Bible tells us that we are to, to declare His works. We are to declare His works, number three. In other words, share what God is doing. He says, my hands are in the hands of God. In verse 24, he says, God gives me direction. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct thy paths. You keep your heart clean. God is good to those that keep their heart clean. God will bless those that live in obedience to him. He will give direction. The Bible describes him as uh, the, the light and the lamp. This is light which we need, the lamp, just enough light with, uh, that we need uh, within our uh, Christian life. The Bible tells us he gives us direction, but he gives us his person. Look at verse 24 or 25. This is a great verse. Mark it if you haven't marked it. Whom have I in heaven but thee? For there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. When I came to a proper place of worship, I, 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 I am now seeing God like I would not seen Him before. And now I can't desire anything more than God. I want to be with Him. I crave Him. I desire. What, what more do I truly need? And what more do I have to look forward to than to be together with you in heaven? 
Christian, what a, what a day that will be when, our, when my Jesus I shall see. Amen? That will be a wonderful day. When we'll stand before God, being together with Him. The truth is, God is already with you right now. Do we live such a life as though God is present and with us? You say, well, I've fallen away from that. Come into a proper form of worship. Get your eyes back on God, and you'll find yourself saying the same thing. Man, I love God more than I did and ever thought that I ever could. Amen? Amen. The Bible continues. He gives us direction. He gives us his person. But he gives us eternal satisfaction. In verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth. Our bodies will always fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's why scripture says that the salvation which God gives is a peace that passes what? All understanding. There, there is, you are my portion, you are my strength. Everything else will fail, but you give me everything I need, a peace and everything that I need. And what more do I have to do than to praise you? Because you are worthy of that praise. But where did all this come back to? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I came to a proper form of worship. It was then that I could, verse 28, draw near to God. That I was putting my trust in the Lord. And that I, that I could declare his works. Sharing what God is doing. Those, are, those remaining verses are, are just simply and purely Asaph sharing who God is and what he is doing in his life. Christian, you can never share too much of God. Amen? You never can. Don't ever stop sharing about the work of God in your life. If God is actively working, you'll always have something to share. Amen. For the individual who's gotten himself bitter or frustrated or discouraged, for the individual who's, who's looking at all the, the negative things, they're not dwelling upon the works of God. They need to come to a proper form of worship. Christian, what about you? Have you drawn near to God? Are you trusting in Him? Do you declare His works? Well, I look at my own life and even as a pastor, I say, man, I need to get back into a proper form of worship. We talked about taking the name of God in vain this morning is, is in its essence when God's name is on our lips but it's not in our heart. We can so flippantly use the name of Jesus, use the name of God without any sincere, genuine desire to worship God. We're talking about a reverential fear of the Lord. That I sing because I love the Lord. That I, 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 I speak His name because I carry His name. I have a relationship with Him. I come to church because I desire to worship Him. For him to work in my life. I read my Bible because I desire for myself to obey his word. So therefore I have to come to a knowledge of his word. Oh, churches today need to come back to a proper form of worship. Christians need to come back to a proper form of worship. Until I went to the sanctuary that I understand its end. Let's every head bowed and every eye.